every master was once a disaster. And if you want to be a master, you must be willing to be a disaster. You got to suck at something before you can be bad at it. You got to be bad at something before you can be mediocre at it. You got to be mediocre at something before you can be average at it. You got to be average at something before you can be okay at it. You got to be okay at something before you can be decent at it. You got to be decent at something before you can be good at it. You got to be good at something before you can be great at it. You got to be great at something before you can be masterful at it. You got to be masterful at something before you can be iconic at it. And you got to be iconic at something before you can be the best that ever lived at it. Think about that. That's commitment. Welcome to Message Engineer for the MedTech Startup. Do you want a clear message that resonates? Compelling message that scales? Competitive message that nails your unique value? On this show, we interview guests across medical device disciplines to help you communicate and message powerfully. Your host, Maureen Schaefer, is a three-time vice president of marketing with 30 years of experience creating money-moving messages from startups to IPO and beyond. Here's your host, Maureen Schaefer. Hi, and welcome to the Message Engineer podcast. We are delighted today to have Nikki Blue here as our guest. Nikki has a very fascinating background. He has a Master of Science in Foreign Relations from Georgetown. He has an undergraduate at the University of Toronto in Commerce and Economics and Political Science. He is currently the president of the E-Circle Academy, co-founder of the Million Dollar Clinic, host of the Thought Leader Revolution podcast and a coach and speaker around his book, Finish Line Thinking. Thank you so much for joining us today, Nikki. We're delighted to have you. It's an honor to be here, Maureen. Thanks so much for having me. One of the things I thought for the audience, you have such a fascinating background. I was wondering if you could describe your career or some highlights in it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll start by telling you my backstory. I'm actually originally an immigrant from the Middle East. I'm a Christian from Iran. When I was a young boy, 11 years old, the Islamic Revolution took place in Iran and um, it upended my life, right? You know, my late father, God rest his soul, he could see the writing on the wall. This wasn't gonna be a great place to raise his Christian family. So he made a plan and he got us out of Iran and eventually settled us where I now live, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Now, at the time, I was upset. I mean, I was 11. I was leaving my home. I was leaving my friends. But looking back now, thank God for my father and his foresight because he took us out of tyranny and he brought us to freedom. And I have an appreciation for freedom in a way that someone maybe who's born you know, in the United States or in Canada doesn't. And I think it's the most precious gift God has given us. I believe in freedom and free expression and free enterprise. It informs my worldview. It informs everything I do. And to me, without uh, an appreciation of freedom, you can't have free expression. You can't have free enterprise. And free enterprise is the bedrock of a successful entrepreneurial journey. And my late father, he was um, an entrepreneur himself. He was an uplifter of human beings. If he knew you and you were looking for work, dad would go help you find a job. If you were looking to start a business, he'd bring some advisors together. He'd even help you get access to capital. 
And if you were looking to buy a car or a house or an apartment and you didn't quite have enough money and he knew, he would top you up so you could buy that car, that house, that apartment. And you might think to yourself, what are you talking about, Nikki? Who, who does that? Well, the late great Napoleon Ballou, for one. And then you might think, well, why would he do that? Well, first of all, he was a devout Christian. and He believed as a Christian that he'd been blessed and it was his duty to share those blessings with others. But secondly, he did it because he could. He had the financial wherewithal to be able to be of service to others. And I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be an uplifter of people. Dad used to always say to me, son, life is about people. It's not about numbers. It's not about money. And he said, even business is not about, you know, numbers and money. It's about people. He said, what do you do in business, son, is you solve problems for people. And when you do that well, you get the right to make a profit. And I thought, wow, that's pretty darn amazing to think that way and be that way. And he always would tell me, son, remember the person sitting across from you that's someone's mother, someone's daughter, someone's sister, someone's wife, someone's father, someone's husband, someone's brother, someone's son. That is a hero to somebody. They have hopes, they have dreams, they have aspirations, they have fears and doubts. They've been disappointed by life. Maybe they even got disappointed by someone just like you in the past. So it's your job to like, give them your love, give them your best, and do what's right for the other person. And you know what? I believe first, my first point is life is about people. Business is about people. You get to solve problems for people for profit. You know those wonderful Venn diagrams? Problems, people, profit. You put all that together, that's how you do business. That's how you do life. And to me, the first thing I got when I got into business is I decided I was going to be a helper. So I was a top level fitness coach. I coached Olympic gold medal athletes. I worked with billionaires. I worked with the top people in their fields. And when I got out of that, I got into the world of helping entrepreneurs make more money. This is the first thing that hit me. A lot of people are good at what they do as entrepreneurs, but they're not good business people. They don't understand marketing and sales. They don't understand customer service. They don't understand income statements, balance sheets you know, cash flow statements, they don't understand hiring and firing and culture and exit strategies and processes and systems. It's overwhelming to them. But I understood all that. Come from a business background, business family and study business in school. So I know how to help people put all that together and make it work. And in particular, I noticed that sales and marketing was a problem for most people. That whole arena, when it came to sales, people just got all nervous. I don't want to be seen as pushy. I don't want to be seen as salesy. I don't want to walk in the room and reek of commission breath. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. So I thought, okay, that's good. But the problem is that that attitude keeps you away from business you legitimately should get. So that hurts your, your finances. That hurts your family. That hurts your business. Also, it hurts that person you could have helped who needed your help and doesn't get it. And then some charlatan marketer swoops in, grabs that business, doesn't deliver. Everybody suffers. So I thought I can help these people get that business they should get. So I thought if the word sales is a problem, let's reframe selling to serving. Nobody wants to be sold. Maureen, you don't want to be sold. I don't want to be sold. But everybody, and I mean everybody, wants to be served by a caring human being. Everybody.
And if you think about that, Maureen, that is what it's all about. People don't buy their way into something in life and in business. They buy their way out of something. If you put the attention on you, I wonder what they're going to think of me. I wonder if they're going to like me. No, no, no. All that imposter syndrome, you're never going to be successful. But if you put the attention on serving the other person, I wonder how bad this is affecting them. I wonder if it's impacting their relationship with the people they love. I'm here to serve. I'm here to help. If that is where you're going, you're going to do well. You got to remember, people are not buying their way into something. They're not buying your amazing methodology. They're buying their way out of a problem they want solved very, very badly. That is point number one. Point number two, messaging. Why is messaging important? Messaging is key to standing out. You can't be stuck in a sea of sameness. You got to be in the oasis of differentiation, Maureen. You got to be. And let me tell you a quick story, Maureen. There was a woman who came to us a few years back and she had a, a, a practice as a naturopathic doctor, doctor of natural medicine, successful woman, six figure a year earner, but she wanted more. Her father, who was her hero, was dying of brain cancer and he was a successful entrepreneur and she was daddy's girl and she wanted to do daddy proud and she wanted to be successful. She wanted to show him that, you know what? She was gonna honor him by turning her business around and taking it to the next level. So she wanted to make seven figures. And when she came to us, she didn't understand that her messaging didn't work. I said, who do you help? She said, well, really, Nikki, I can help anybody with any health problem. That's what we do. And I said, yeah, that's not good business. We need to like narrow that, that focus. And she says, well, how do I do that? So we thought about it and we said, let's do a process. Who are most of your clients? Well, it turned out 80% of her clients were women, Maureen. And then I said, okay, most of your clients are women. Okay, most of these women are, what age range are they in? Well, it turned out that most of her clients most of her women clients were between 40 and 60 and they were successful professional women. Why did they come see her? That's what we needed to understand. Why are they seeing you? Well, most of them felt that they were successful in life, successful with their family, but they didn't feel beautiful and feminine anymore. They felt that aging had taken over and this was it, wasn't gonna get any better. And they came to her to overcome that. And she helped these women get their sexy back. And that was the tagline we came up with, get your sexy back. And let me tell you, in a year, she doubled her business. In two years, she doubled it again. And in three years, she doubled it again. She went from six figures a year to a six-figure a month run rate by getting a powerful message aimed at a very specific target market not trying to be all things to all people. And I got to tell you, that is the power of having an incredible message and being seen as the go-to thought leader in your space. Very, very powerful stuff. You're, you are you're speaking my language. I think that is uh, it's a brilliant process to arrive at, right? Target marketing is just to say who's already coming. 
who's already here? What are they like? Who are, you know, the demographics and why did they choose you? And kind of mining all that information, it seems to some so straightforward, but you know, you're right. So many entrepreneurs want to do the right thing. They get started, they get going, and then they get a little lost amidst all the administration, all the finance, all the marketing, all the, you know, and all the sales. And I love your reframing of sales as serving um, to take away that, ah, oh, I don't want to sell people, right? That kind of um, stereotypical old school you know, pushy kind of salesperson. That's not, that's not the best way to sell, as you've already pointed no. out. And so I think that is, that no, makes no. a lot of sense. Um, so I mean, you could talk a little bit more about this idea of, you know, so you're coaching Olympic athletes, right? You started there, and then you've moved into kind of the million-dollar clinic business and some other businesses. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how, coaching Olympic athletes and other kind of high-level athletes, um, what you learned from that that you were then able to pull over and apply to some of your current endeavors? Well, that's a great question. You know, in my book, Finish Line Thinking, I kind of go into that in a big way. What is it that makes someone a champion, the very best at what they do, or makes somebody else an also-ran? And it's how they think. Honestly, that's the number one thing I realized. It's how they think. You know, uh, a champion thinks like a champion. They expect to win. There are 13 principles we identified in that process. Well, first of all, champions take care of their health. Champions don't mess with their health. They're in top shape. They work out. They, they eat right. That is like, that's a non-negotiable for them, right? So if you want to be... Uh, a champion level individual, you need to like take a look in the mirror and you need to resign from generation soft and you need to join generation hard. You need to work out and you need to eat right and you need to get in the best shape of your life. And you got to stop telling yourself excuses like I have no time. I'm too old. Just make a decision and do it. Second thing that you got to do is you've got to understand that champions don't do it alone champions hire coaches the very best coaches my good friend mark mccoy who i was business partners with was an olympic gold medalist in the 110 meter hurdles back in 1992 that's like 31 years ago that he did this right he had been known before he won his olympic gold medal as mr fourth place and that was not not a complimentary moniker it's because in all the big races, he came in fourth. 1984 Olympics, he came in fourth by five one hundredths of a second. World Championship, he came in fourth by you know, one-tenth of a second. It's crazy. He came in seventh in 88. And he had good coaches, but it wasn't working for him, so he decided to quit. And then in 88, this is the pre-internet days, the then best hurdler in the world, Colin Jackson, came to visit him in Canada to look for him and say, hey, come to, your, uh, come to England, come train with me. Uh, and he said, yeah, okay, he went there. And when he got there, Colin's coach was the best hurdles coach in the world. And he went to Colin and he said, hey, Colin, are you sure you want me to work with Mark? He said, yeah, why? He said, because I, I think I know what's wrong with him and I can help him fix it. And if I help him fix it, he might beat you. And 
here's what Colin Jackson said. This is the mark of a true champion. He said, yeah, no, of course, we'll teach it to him. First of all, he's an old man. I'm going to beat him. And secondly, we'll both get better. So, yeah, work with him. And the very first time Mark was with uh, Malcolm Arnold, who was Colin's coach and now his coach, he said to him, take a run over the hurdles for me. So he did. He ran over the hurdles. And he noticed something that had escaped every other coach Mark had worked with for a dozen years. His step was like this. One foot was like this. The other foot was slightly crooked. Now tell me something. What do you see? What do you see, Mark? One, one foot is straightforward and one foot is kind of curved. Why is that significant? Because you're losing time and speed not rolling yes but why you're losing time and speed going off the side is that you're losing an inch with every step the crooked foot and he said to him he said hey mark your your foot's crooked you're losing an inch and he went to him and he said an inch i didn't come here for an inch he said but mark you take 39 steps 39 steps in a race that's 39 inches now, Maureen, have you ever watched world championship or Olympic uh, final race? What is the difference between the first place finisher and the fourth place finisher in terms of actual distance? Uh, probably an inch because it's like a hundredth inches. of a second. Inches. Two hundredths of a second. 39 yeah. inches is the difference between first and fourth place, which is where Mark was finishing. So he helped him fix the problem. He said, concentrate on your foot going straight. It'll go straight. And a year and a half later, Mark won the Olympic gold medal at the Barcelona Olympics. Now, how did he do that? Well, he did that because he didn't work with a good coach. He didn't work with a great coach. He worked with the best that ever was, who noticed something nobody else noticed. That is what you need to do in order to get from where you are to where you want to be. Okay. And so someone's that listening is, to this. That is you have got to like work with the best. There are four qualities the successful have. Quality number one is they're decisive. They make a decision. There is no back and out. They don't take back their decision. They're like, I'm in it to win it. Unfortunately, far too many people, especially like men, I mean, it's horrible because a man's word used to be his bond. It is no longer their bond. They make decisions that they don't really mean and they back out. To decide means to kill off the alternative. A real true decision means this is it. I'm going. And decisive people make decisions quickly. They don't make decisions, dilly-dallying, thinking about it. I need to think about it, Maureen. I'll get back to you. I need to talk to my spouse about this. I don't make these decisions by myself. You understand? Um, I actually need to have a seance 
with my dead ancestors. True story. Someone said this to me once. The successful decide quickly. The successful say, hey, I'm in it to win it. The unsuccessful do not. Do not. Yeah, I've, that I've heard it said that uh, act, act, yeah. I've heard it said that action takers are money makers. So in I that like same it. in that same action vein, takers are money makers. I like it. On good it, action takers are money makers. It's true, right? There's so much that that time that you wait when you have good what I when you have good enough data, move. You're going to learn more by moving and running towards it than you aren't. Yeah. And when you talk about this idea of inches, right, and 30-some-odd um, steps in, in the race and winning the game by inches, it, I reflect back on that and think about how many companies could be so much better if they, just, if they could figure out where they could gain by, right, small increments moving forward. How can they get more efficient? How can they be more thoughtful? How can they hire the right people? How can they? Um, the difference it's often, between... Sometimes the, it's big moves. A lot of times it's a little moves. Yeah. <laughs> the difference between the winners and the losers is the winners are constantly looking for an edge. Constantly. And the losers don't even know that they need an edge. Right? So the second quality is commitment. Every master was once a disaster. And if you want to be a master, you must be willing to be a disaster. You got to suck at something before you can be bad at it. You got to be bad at something before you can be mediocre at it. You got to be mediocre at something before you can be average at it. You got to be average at something before you can be okay at it. You got to be okay at something before you can be decent at it. You got to be decent at something before you can be good at it. You got to be good at something before you can be great at it. You got to be great at something before you can be masterful at it. You got to be masterful at something before you can be iconic at it. And you got to be iconic at something before you can be the best that ever lived at it. Think about that. That's commitment. Commitment is I'm in it to win it. Third is you got to be coachable. If you could have done it by yourself on your own, you would have done it by yourself on your own. You need help. These people that think they can do everything their own, there's probably things in your life that you're good at doing on your own. But there's things in your life that you're not good at doing on your own. And you got to take coaching. If you want to win at something, you gotta have the attitude that I am gonna get the help I need to win. And Robin Sharma, who was a client of mine back in the day, the author of the multi-million selling book, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, he said to me, Nikki, if you ever wanna double your income, triple your investment in personal and professional development. Triple your investment in personal and professional development. Triple, triple. If you're not willing to hire the coaches and pay them what they ask, if you're not willing to join the peer groups and pay what they ask, if you're not willing to attend the conference and pay what they ask, if you're not willing to do the courses and pay what they ask, if you're not willing to read the books and pay what they ask, 
you're going to remain a loser. I'm sorry. It's just how it is. And then finally, you got to be resourceful. You got to come up with the time, the energy, and the money to win. Tony Robbins said, doesn't matter how much resources you have. It matters how resourceful you are. I'll tell you a story from my life. Several years ago, my then wife, seemingly out of the blue, decided she did not want to be married to me anymore. I was devastated. I didn't see it coming. Maybe I should have, but I didn't. She kicked me out of the house. I went to my mom's house, grown man with two sons, slept on her couch. Slept on her couch. Spiraled, didn't make any money. Friend of mine bought me a ticket to a conference and I went with him. There was a man there, he delivered a talk. It spoke to me. I walked up to him at the end and I said, hey, I think I, I, I'm Nikki Ballou, here's my story. And at the end of my story, I said, I think I need to hire you. He looks at me and he goes, okay. But what you need to understand is my minimum fee is $5,000. That's for five hours of my time. You still wanna hire me? And by the way, I get paid upfront in full, no refunds, no guarantees. Still wanna hire me? I'm like, whoa, I don't have that kind of money. He said, I'm gonna give you some free coaching. I said, free coaching, give me some free coaching. He said, it doesn't matter how much money you have. I said, it doesn't? But I thought that's all that mattered because you want $5,000 from me. And he said, no. What matters is how bad do you want change? He said, I don't need you $5,000. I got a lineup of 20 people waiting to work for me. But you need me and what I have to give you. How bad do you want change? You're a grown man. Your wife kicked you to the curb. You're sleeping on your mother's couch. You're not seeing your sons. You can't provide for your family. How much longer do you want to put up with this situation? A day? A week? A month? A year? A lifetime? And I'm like, whoa. He said, give me a couple of days. I made an appointment to see him in two days. I called a few folks who had said neither yes nor no to working with me. And I called them with some urgency. And I said, hey, I got good news for you. You're fat and you need to lose weight. Otherwise, you're going to have a major health event. And me, I'm broke and I need money. So I can take care of my two sons and I can see them again. So I'm going to give you the deal of a lifetime, half price. But here's the catch. You got to say yes or no now. And you got to pay me in full now if it's yes. So what's it going to be? Yes or no? Two folks said, here you go. Here's, here's, here's the money. They gave me a thousand bucks each. I was pumped. I went over to see this fella. His name was Bill. I dropped down the $2,000 on his desk. Just excited as all get out. And he said to me, that's great. But I didn't say two. I said five. I was deflated. But I picked up my courage and I said, hey, um, Bill, how many people have you told this story to? that you told me. He said, oh, over the years, 30, maybe 40. I'm like, wow, that's a lot. Besides me, who else came back with any money? He said, oh, that's easy. You're the very first. I go, I'm the very first. You are the very first, the very first, the very, very first. I said, okay, then take my money 
and I'll sign a contract saying I'll pay you the rest in 30, 60 days, whatever the case may be. And he agreed. And the rest is history because within six months, I made six figures and I paid him back early. How bad do you want change? Are you, have you made a decision that this is the path you want to go on, the path of success, of living life as the best version of yourself? Have you taken the option of backing away off the table? Have you made a commitment that you're going to do whatever it takes? You're in it to win it. Do you understand that you need to be coachable? Are you willing to take on a coach and do what they say and pay them what they ask? And are you resourceful to come up with them? all the money you need to win, all the time and the energy you need to win? You do these four things and success will be yours in the most uncommon of hours. And you do not. And you'll be one of those poor, lovable folks going through life, wondering why it is that you're not living the life that you're meant to live. You make a lot of great points in there. And uh, I am, on one hand, kind of surprised you're the only one who took him up on that offer. and, and unsurprised, kind of on the other hand. And I think it is, it says a lot about you, right? And who you are and your commitment and your resourcefulness that, um, and your understanding of paying money to get from where, you're, where you are to where you want to be to the best people, to the people who are the best you can help. You know, I think when people get in kind of a, if you want to say it, a rut or they plateau or that, need this like tremendous amount of energy, right? To overcome that inertia, (laughs) it's physics, really, cognitively or otherwise. And uh, making, making that kind of payment and investing in yourself really is, it's such a powerful motivator, right? To then do the work and get to where you need to be. And so many times we don't, um, we don't know what we don't know, right? We sit here puzzling about why are we stuck? How come we can't get to the next step? Why does it seem these same things keep happening to us? And uh, yeah. We need, we need to partner with other people. We need to make a commitment, be resourceful, all the things that you said to do. And I think that's, I love your story. Thank you. Nothing more, I found in, in my life that whenever I've hit kind of what I consider to be kind of, I say rock bottom, scraping my face against the asphalt. <laughs> <laughs> then that's when I pick myself up and dust myself off and, you know, uh, good things start, good things happen. Right? But you have to kind of hit that, you have to hit that place and say, I am so motivated. I don't want to be here. I don't want this to happen again. I am incredibly motivated to make the change and find the people to help you make it. And, and like you said, the best, the people are the best, not the mediocre yes. people, not the decent people, not the good people, but the like best of iconic best of folks to help us get there. 
So, and that idea of leaning on and relying on other people. It's tremendous, 100%. tremendous message. Thank you. 100%. So we have some of the background on the athletes, uh, and we have some background on you and your, your father and kind of people and problems and profit and that Venn diagram. And uh, I am so fascinated by this million-dollar practice um, that, that company that you've built because there are a lot of practitioners, medical practitioners, out there like the naturopath you described who they're doing it because they care a lot about people. They're doing it because they're very good at their craft, right? And they love doing it. But that business side and that sales side and that messaging side doesn't kind of come easily. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that company and what you do uh, and why it's so kind of critically important for that group and talk a little bit about, well, I'll ask you that one when you're done with this, but like the Million Dollar Clinic. How did you come to that? Who are you partnered with? How did that come about? And um, sure. what have you learned? Actually, that, 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 is, um, that is my, uh, my lady's company that I'm, I'm partners with her. She is the kind of the driving force behind the, the vision for it. And she spent, um, you should probably have her on your show. She's awesome. Um, she spent, I'd love uh, to have her on the Yeah. I'll make sure that happens. She spent 20 plus years managing clinics for folks. So she managed dental clinics, psychology clinics, multidisciplinary clinics, and she learned all the things you need to do to make a clinic grow. And she knows exactly why clinics struggle. So one of the issues is, you know, they're, um, they're not run like businesses. They're again, run by folks who are good at the, the thing that they do. And so Teresa really assisted them with understanding how to, you know, optimize their front desk. Cause she, she says that most people's front desk not optimized and most clinics are leaving a couple hundred thousand dollars a year on the table because their front desk isn't optimized, you know? And I came in to talk about messaging, you know, why, why folks messaging isn't good. And the messaging really is all around, you know, why should people do business with you? What are the problems you solve for people? And the other thing we noticed that a lot of folks do wrong is they undervalue themselves. They undercharge. Maureen, why is undercharging so bad? And that's a good question, right? Undercharging is bad for a number of reasons. That's a great question. Number one, first and foremost, undercharging hurts your client. Undercharging hurts your client. Like people are listening, when you talk about it, clients love to pay less. Not really. Why would you say that? Oh, I'll, I'll tell you right now. So Maureen, let's just say um, I ran a practice and let's just say that I, I, I worked with women and let's say my, my shtick was that 
I'm going to help you have the same level of energy and vitality and, you, you, you know, libido that you had when you were 25, when you're 45. And let's just say that, you know, you were like one of my potential patients. You just said, we talked and you said, Dr. Nikki, it sounds great. Not that I'm a doctor, but let's, how we, let's go forward. What are we going to do? I'd say, well, we're going to work together for the next six months and you're going to come see me three times a week and we're going to do this and that and the other. And you're going to go, great, sign me up. What's the fee for the six months? And I said, oh, Maureen, it's $50. You're going to go, what? $50 to completely transform my life. <coughs> to take me back from 45 to 25. You're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe that that is real because it doesn't make sense. There's a theory called expectancy bias theory. What it says is that we expect, we expect to get more from that which we pay more for. When we pay too little for something, we don't expect to get a lot for it. How's that possible? Well, let me just demonstrate this with a couple of things right here. All right. So I've got here a pen. So All right. this is a pen, right? So it's a pen. It writes. It's black. Writes in black. It's great, right? This pen costs me $12. This pens go, it's, you know, $12. It's not nothing, right? It's full metal body construction. I toss this pen wherever, you know what I mean? In my bag, root, root around for it like I did now and grab it. Now here's another pen. Black body pen, also writes in black. This pet is a Mont Blanc. This pen has its own protective case. I never toss this around and root around for it. It goes and rests within its own protective case. This pen costs $1,000. I almost always write with this pen, not with this pen. This is like a backup pen for me. Why, did I, why at $1,000 is this worth to, more to me than this at $12? They do the same job. They do the same job. They write on paper. Why did I insist on having this pen and not this pen? Why indeed, Maureen? Why? Well, because I feel like a success when I write with this pen. And I don't feel that way when I write with this pen. You need to charge your clients enough so that you have leverage over them. That they will take it seriously enough to do their part to get the outcome. You're in business to provide outcomes for people. If you think otherwise, you're wrong. Now, I'll tell you a story about one of my clients managed an acupuncture clinic in Manhattan. Great guy. 
made six figures. But this Manhattan money came and went quick. When he came to me, he said, I want to make seven figures. Seven figures. So we did a comprehensive overview of his business. And honestly, he had a pretty good message. He had really good outcomes he provided for people. And he had a good list of clients. High-level clients, actually. Folks like Robert De Niro and other celebrity types that lived in New York and Tribeca and places like that. So there was only one thing he was doing wrong. I wonder if you can guess what that is. He undercharged. Not charging enough. He undercharged, yeah. So I went to him and I said, his name was Chris. I said, Chris, Chris, you're undercharging. He said, okay, all right, can I, all right, I can raise my fees. What do you want me? I should raise them 10%, 20%, 25%. He was all excited. And I'm like, no, you need to 20 fold your prices. What? I can't, I can't, no, 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 no. Relax, calm down, don't hyperventilate. You need to 20 fold your price. I won't, I can't. Finally, I was able to persuade him to seven fold his prices, just seven fold. Maureen, he 20 folded the size of his practice. All his rich, high level clients brought all their buddies and said, Look, come to see my acupuncturist. He's the best in Manhattan. Look at how much he charges. In four months, he added over 1 million to his practice, not annualized in four months. Wow. That. Yeah, that is really impressive. I I love hearing about this expectancy bias. I've heard the um, what is the phrase that I'm really always using? It's you. Uh, oh, you pay to pay attention. And yeah. she's like, the more you pay, the more attention you're going to pay, right? The more, just as you said, the more you're going to invest time and energy into it. Um, and into doing it to make sure that it's successful. And then on your story of the acupuncturist, I love that the undercharging was associated with the level of value, right? And then the minute he seven-folded his price, the value of the very same thing he's still offering is worth more, has higher value. Now they refer their friends. So, so I've got another yes. powerful yeah. point great, to make. Great story. Yes. So it's also very important, Maureen, for you to not work with these freaking charlatans and to work with the right coaches. So we had a client who ran a psychotherapy and coaching practice, okay? And she was sucking wind. She made like $2,000 a month. On a good month. On a bad month, wow. she made four or $500. And she had spent $125,000, Maureen, $125,000 
on these charlatan marketers and gurus, these fake gurus, these scam artists with zero return, zero, 125,000, zero return. Her husband, who's a good man, said, honey, you're spending us in the poorhouse. Give me your credit cards, right? And she was heartbroken because she knew she had something good to offer. She came to us and we knew exactly why she was failing. Her message was non-existent and these people were burning money to put out a horrible message. Burning money. Making themselves rich, making Google and Facebook rich, but not making her rich. So I said to her, stop spending any money on ads and messaging and marketing. Let's get your message dialed in first. Okay, because we looked at her business. And we all, I also said, while you're undercharging, raise your fees. And we're only going to push one problem, not all 30 things you can solve. One. So let's look at what's the problem you solve really well that people badly need and you enjoy and makes money. So, you know, we did all that. Another Venn diagram. With whom did you get the best results? With whom did you enjoy working with the most and who paid you the best? That's in the Venn diagram. And we went for the sweet spot of all three. We did that work with her. And I got to tell you, in no time at all, we got clear on our ideal client. We charged properly. She went from making 500, four or 500 to 2000 a month. In her first month, she made 20 grand. And then her best month, she made 52,000. And year over year, she showed us the, the infusion soft kind of the year before it was $500. This year it was 52,000. It was a 10,000% increase in revenue. It was incredible, right? And what was different? Well, she hired the best coaches. She hired us. And we didn't have, we weren't trying to shoehorn her into a solution that didn't fit. Oh no, do this. Pay us. Yeah, yeah, pay us. No. We got her to do something to get clear on what would allow her to succeed. And we were agnostic as to, you know, how she went out and got the clients. And that's why it worked. You, you, you've got to have somebody who can look at your practice from a point of view of making you a thought leader and look at all these things that need to be fixed. If, if you think that, oh, okay, I got to do, I got to do uh, paid, paid traffic, paid traffic. That's what I got to do. I got to spend money on ads. Paid traffic can work, right? Here's what you need to understand. You need to invest 50 to $60,000 in paid traffic for it to work. So whoever you hire, you need to pay their fee plus 50 to 60,000 on paid traffic. Now, not a lot of people are in a position to do that. You with me? Not a lot of people. So we want you to do what works. What does work? Well, I put together um, something. Let me see if I... If I I have it handy. I can show it to you. But this something is pretty darn brilliant, if I may say so myself. Here we go. 
This is 10 channels for generating business. 10 channels. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you for free to you and your audience my top four. Okay. Great. Number one, your existing warm market. People are ridiculously weird about calling people they know. But I'm going to just tell you right now, there's a quarter million dollars to a million dollars on the table for you in the people you know, if your message is right and you know how to call them and speak to them. Most people don't and they screw it up. Actually, most people don't make the call. Of the ones that do, most of those screw it up because their messaging sucks. But not us, not our clients. Number two. Now, this is good. Referrals. You're going, referrals, Nikki. Come on, you're talking about stuff everybody knows. Do you actually get referrals? Do you? Most people don't even ask for referrals. And of the people that do, most people don't get referrals. Now, did you know that you could get $100,000 in referral business this year? by asking properly for it. There's a way to ask to get them. And way number three, having your own podcast. Most people don't have a podcast. Most people who have a podcast have no idea how to make money from it. They have wonderful conversations and that's it. There's a way to make money from having a podcast. And way number four, being a guest on someone else's podcast. Know what I love about that? You don't have to spend any money on being a guest. You don't have to spend any money on ads. Most people who go on a show and are guests have no clue how to monetize it. Well, since June of last year, I've generated over $330,000 in sales by being a guest on podcasts. I have cracked the code. And I'm telling you, it works. But you can't just go on a show and have a willy-nilly conversation without understanding what it takes to turn that into business. And if you're listening to this show right now and you're wondering how am I in these times going to add business, forget about paid traffic unless you got $100,000 in the bank that you're willing to throw at it. Forget about social media posting. It doesn't do anything for you, right? Forget about launches and affiliate programs. No. What works now is warm market referrals, having a podcast and guesting on podcasts. You can turn that, all of that, into a half a million to a million dollars extra revenue for yourself this year. That, yeah, that is great advice, right? If you're serving people and delivering real outcomes, you know, and using your warm audience to figure out what else they need, 
uh, and then asking them for referrals properly, as you said, kind of setting up that program, and then getting out there and letting people know you exist. And that letting folks like myself help market you, right, and do, because we get, so for example, when I get the podcast out, right, I create um, a number of different clips. I pull usually 10 to 12 clips. We usually use three the first week, and then we kind of roll them out periodically, kind of later, so you're getting the free marketing. Um, and my guests get to hear from someone like yourself, who has a lot to share and a lot of advice. And yeah, I think that's a, that is tremendous, that is tremendous advice. There's no need to kind of spin 100 tops at the same time and <laughs> try to have something net, net out of it from an income standpoint. So get clear, get focused, do a couple things well. And in this case, warm audience, focus on your warm audience, getting referrals, having a podcast, and guesting on podcasts. So, um, I think those are all great. I want to go back to something that keeps coming up, and it's you know, near and dear to the heart because I named this podcast <laughs> The Message Engineer, uh, is messaging. And uh, I find that it's something that a lot of people struggle with. And you, you gave an example of, or several examples of people spending, most recent one, spending a lot of money, I think that was $125,000, throwing money after marketing, the wrong message. So you can spend, a, a, as you well know, I know I'm preaching the choir here, spend a lot of money marketing the wrong message and get nowhere. And so to roll back to message, what, what do you find are like the top three things or the top few things that people are missing or they just don't understand about having a, a clear focused message? Well, um, you can't be talking about you in your message because people don't really want to hear about you. They want to hear about themselves and their problems and how they can be solved. That's number one. People don't buy their way into something. They buy their way out of something. They're not buying their way into your amazing program or awesome methodology. They're buying their way out of pain. Right. Secondly, um, your message needs to be directed at how to solve that pain. Like it, 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 it's, it's, it can't just be, you got a pain, talk to us. No, it's got to be, you got a pain, you want to solve it, tried a bunch of things that didn't work. We have the solution, something like those lines. Don't assume people will make the leap from you have a pain, talk to us. That, that's just like, why should I talk to you? <laughs> so your message has got to really speak to that in a big and powerful way. And your message needs to be an authentic message, a real message based on your expertise and your ability to solve the problem. Too many people just put out a, a message that is, they can't deliver the goods. Can't deliver the goods. It's that simple. You know, and that's like being a charlatan, in my view. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are great, great insights into um, building a proper message. I think 
one other question about one other question about messaging is that you talked before and you know some people call it target market right but why I, f I find the same thing that you find that particularly with founders or early folks they want to focus on everybody <laughs> or everything that they have to offer as if having more things to offer is going to resonate with more people right and yes. you talked about finding the one thing what, what's that what do you think that disconnect is there? Where is that like misinformation that leads people to think that Fear. trying to serve many things to many people? Yeah, they're afraid they're going to miss out. It's a fear of missing out. It's a fear of missing out. But ironically, mm -hmm. if you try to be all things to all people, no one's going to trust you to do anything. No one's going to trust you to do anything. If you're a doctor and you're a generalist, you know, it's hard to be a generalist. But if you're a doctor who specializes in overcoming cancer or dealing with heart trouble, then people that are dealing with those specific issues, they're gonna to wanna to come talk to you. You can't be all things to all that people. Is a that is a great analogy for, you know, for this audience, right? You don't wanna to go to someone who's like, oh, on Tuesdays I do cardiac surgery and on Wednesdays, I do kidney transplants. And on Thursday, I deliver babies. Exactly. <laughs> That's not the person you want to go to, right, with a specific issue. So you want to know exactly what they do and that you're getting the best and, yeah, that they're committed to it. So Exactly. I love that analogy. That's a great, Thank you. That's a great analogy. Um, are, there, are there any other, you know, when you think about kind of um, – other obstacles that you've run into with people and kind of getting them really clear on their message and getting it out there. Um, you know, in, in medical devices and med tech, it's super specific, right? Because you have this healthcare consumers or patients, right? Formerly known as patients. Uh, facilities, right? Hospitals or ASCs or physicians' offices, like you're talking about. Uh, you have the actual provider, right? Whether it's an acupuncturist or a naturopath or a cardiac surgeon. Um, and then you have the payers, right? In some cases who are part of, who are part of this. Um, and I know the healthcare system is a little, right? A lot different in Canada than it is in the United yeah. States. Uh, some better and some worse, depending on how you want to stack that up. Uh, and how, how do you, you know, have, have you run into, how do you think about those different customers uh, playing into some of these like million dollar practice that, that you're talking to that may be translatable to kind of this complex kind of med tech startup group? So here, here's the thing, right? Um, if you're the CEO of an organization in 2023 and you're interested in scaling the organization, right? You need to accept that marketing strategies that worked three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago are insufficient 
to get you to where you need to get to today to scale. And this whole concept of thought leadership, which is the foundation of the work we do, we've mostly been working with, you know, experts like, you know, consultants and coaches and trainers and marketing agency people like you and folks like that. And it's been really, really great for them. It's helped them add a zero or two to their practices. I can take anybody who is in that space of expertise driven sales. And if they're, if they're like serious, if you said to me, Nikki, do you think you can add a zero to my business? And let's say, I don't know how much you make, but let's say you were making 800,000 a year. And my answer is, yeah, I can do that. You can tell fold your, your business. And you'd go, really, how? And all the things I've been talking about today form the bedrock of how. And, you know, it, even if you already have good messaging and whatnot, there's things we can do to take it to a whole new level from making you the thought leader in your space, the go-to person. Because most people, you know, aren't John Maxwell or Jack Canfield or folks like that or Tom Peters. They're not. They're good, but they could become that person in their space. But a CEO has never thought of that and saying, oh, I, 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 that's for those people, not for me. I'm a CEO. Well, horse manure. As of now, that is the strategy to take your company and scale it 10, 100, 1,000 fold. And you might go, Nikki, well, really, how do you do that? Well, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you two stories. Story number one is a tale of two companies and two CEOs. In 1998, two of America's leading computer firms were Dell Computer and Apple Computer. They were roughly the same size, about $8 billion and change in revenue at that time. They were led by young visionary CEOs, Michael Dell and Steve Jobs. Now, Michael Dell very deliberately chose to step back from being the face of the brand. Steve Jobs very deliberately chose to step into being the face of the brand. And Steve would talk about not just Apple, but himself, his own philosophy. He was seen as a go-to thought leader that had wise things to say about not just Apple, but about the state of our world, the state of business, the state of technology. And people flocked to Apple because Steve Jobs' brand was a brand that got people excited and they go, I like this guy. I want to be like this guy. Nobody said that about Michael Dell. Nobody. Now, Steve Jobs passed away 11 and a half years ago. 
and Dell Computer is a very successful company today. It, it tenfolded in size. It's over $80 billion a year in sales, right? But Apple Computer didn't tenfold in size. Apple Computer is $350 billion a year in sales and is the single most valuable corporation on the planet. Dell Computer is not in the top 50. It's not in the top 50, let's be honest, right? And yet Steve Jobs has been dead 11 and a half years. How's that possible? Because Steve Jobs' brand as the visionary, as the daring individual, as that swashbuggling, quintessentially American business leader captured the imagination of millions and millions of people who still buy Apple products. Yet Apple has not really been the same level of visionary company since Steve passed away. When was the last really great new thing Apple did? Well, it was when Steve was alive. But that energy is still present in that brand. Now, there is a, um, an American businessman by the name of Patrick Bet David. Patrick got his start in business as um, the founder of PHP Insurance Agency. And a little over 10 years ago, PHP had 200 agents, good size agency. Patrick made $2 million a year, good money. But Patrick wanted to make 100 times that. And he hired some people to help him build a brand. And he built a brand. It's called Valuetainment. And he has created a brand as the number one kind of place on the internet for information about entrepreneurship. That brand helped him grow his agency from 200 agents to 37,000 agents. And he just sold it for $400 million. Now, if you're a CEO today and you're thinking, well, Nikki, how do I do this? How do I become Patrick, Bet David, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs in my space? Well, you hire me because I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to show you what you need to do. But that is the truth of what any startup needs to do. If you're serious about scaling, you need to say, I need to build my personal brand and not the way people think of a personal brand. I'm the CEO, whatever. No, not a resume. I'm talking about a persona and a brand that's out there in the public talking to people beyond your customer base that could become your customer base, that could attract your customer base to you. You got to be the face of the brand. You got to be the brand and your brand has to be infused with your company's brand and even bigger than your company's brand because you can grow that. Does that make sense, Maureen? Yeah, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. I'm a, I'm a huge, if you could look around my office, a huge Apple fan. An iPhone, an iPad, I have my MacBook Pro. I have like, all the Mac essentials. My son yep. has all the Mac essentials. 
yeah, MacBook Pro, iPhone, the whole the whole thing. And we, yeah, it's Steve Jobs. It's that hey, we're we're doing the future. Dell. It's fascinating to think about because I associate Dell with heavy computers that are literally. I had one once fall out in an overhead bin, right? Watches your items may have shifted during travel. Fall the overhead bin and land on the floor of the airplane, undamaged. <laughs> but that's not that's not cool. That's not wow. That's not it's robust. It's enterprises love them. Um, but yeah, Mac is the future and where it's going. And to you, to your point about you know Steve Jobs passing 11 and a half years ago and where they are today, I think. I watch their launch, the Apple launches. I watch every Apple launch, even if I'm not going to buy anything, because they are marketing geniuses and how they go about doing this. And it still, to your point about Steve Jobs being this like daring, swashbuckling, you know, future looking, that is all still part of their brand. You can see it in every launch they do. Um, and every product they do, even if the innovation isn't quite uh, in the imagination where it used to be. So I think your point about thought leadership and owning the brand, not just in your space, but in tangential spaces that can influence kind of your customer is, or potential customers, is really brilliant. Is really brilliant. And, and I love the plug for you can help them do it. Because <laughs> you have, you've proven that over the course of our conversation today um, with your stories and uh, really powerful, your powerful message about what's Thank important you. moving forward and your unique take on what it's going to take to be successful um, in these spaces going forward of you know, warm audience referrals, have a podcast, best done podcast. So it's funny because I'm suggesting that to some of my clients. <laughs> so. Awesome. Uh, I think that's all really brilliant. Um, kind of in in closing today, kind of two kind of two questions. Um, one, uh, if you had three books or podcasts in this case uh, that you think are what um, this kind of startup community uh, trying to get their message right should be reading. What, what are those three kind of podcasts or books they should be looking at? Well, my podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution, is a, is a good one uh, to listen to. Patrick Bet David's podcast, um, The uh, Valuetainment Show, um, I think that's a powerful, powerful podcast to listen to. Um, and as far as books are concerned, I've written um, nine books and published nine books. Um, I think that, you know, if you're if you're a re if you're thank you if you're a reader, um, there are um, four that are business centric specifically. I think all of those are good. The thought leader's journey is it's a fable, but it talks about you know how to build a thought leader brand and message in there. Um, I think that's pretty powerful for anybody to look at but books that aren't mine and shows uh you know uh patrick bet davis book your next five moves is an excellent book 
Um, I'm, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan. And I just uh, finished reading David Goggins' book, Never Finished. And I think that if you're looking to succeed, one of the smartest things you can do is be around people that have tougher mindsets than you. So you can toughen up your mindset. And David Goggins is the king of having a tough mindset. So that'd be my recommendation. That's, yeah, that is, that's tremendous. Those are tremendous Thank recommendations. You. I'm going to check them all out. Um, and I, I agree with your, your fable. I had the chance to read about the first 10 pages of it last night. And uh, oh, it was awesome. very engaging, and I will read the rest of it. So, yeah, so I thought it. Thank you. I, yeah, the fable books are so, they're so easy to read, and there's so much. They're thought leader fable. There's so much inside it. Almost disguises an easy to read story with a lot of yeah. impactful um, information in there about things that we can do, right? So, 100%, for the folks 100%. who like to read or listen. If it's on an audiobook, right? Hundred percent agree. So, uh, the I'm sorry. I said I hundred percent agree with that. All right. Can you hear me? Uh, and the last question is, how? What's that? No, no, nothing. Uh, and last question is, how can people get a hold of you or learn more about you? Um, you know, I'm everywhere. So if you go on the social media and type in my name, you can just find me. You can want to connect with me and say, I heard you on a podcast and I'll accept. But if you want to have a, if you want to have a conversation, um, I'm willing to have a conversation with you on, on one condition. It's got to be a conversation that we're going to have with you if you're kind of in the stage where you're ready to say, I want change bad. I want change bad. And come to my calendar, ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment, and you can have 45 minutes of my time for free. And I offer this to you, no strings attached. But you got to say in your application form, I want change bad. I'm looking for folks who are ready to change their lives. If you're looking to gather information, go on Google. <laughs> That's what I always tell people. Uh, yes. Google is a great source of information. Everyone should know how to do some keyword searching in Google. Uh, yep. Should put that in the high school curriculum. So uh, thanks so much for joining us today on the Message Engineer podcast, Nikki. It was, uh, it was a pleasure and an honor having you. We'll see you next time. Maureen, thanks for having me. You're a fabulous hostess. You're amazing. God bless you. Mm -hmm.